0: Welcome to The Course Reports, the real deal inside look into professional golf venues around the world. And around the world we're going this week, the Royal Melbourne Golf Club, home of the 2019 President's Cup, with Director of Courses, Richard Forsyth. This world ranked venue is about to host the greatest players in the world. I'm Curtis Tyrell, Certified Golf Course Superintendent, Master Greenkeeper. I'm here to bring you the smooth and true facts. So let's get on the green. Royal Melbourne Golf Club. It's time for the course reports. Well, without further ado, I want to welcome to the course reports Richard Forsythe, director of golf courses at Royal Melbourne Golf Club. Richard, the world of golf is about to be right on top of you. Welcome to the show, and how are you doing today?
1: Thanks, Curtis. No, we're doing well. We're right in the thick of the tournament preparation with. With our program, but also with the the build of structures and things. So certainly it's going to be the biggest golf event ever held in Australia. So we're all very excited and looking very much forward to the the week.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, this is a worldwide event. So the preparation and the build up for this one is at a different scale than some of the other things you've uh, hosted in the past. Um, How long have you been working on this particular tournament?
1: It was announced uh, about two and a half years ago. So right from that time, we went back to the PGA Tour and asked them if there was anything uh, structurally that they would like to uh, look at for the, for the tournament. And look, there wasn't really, I mean, we're not going to tamper too much with uh, the history and tradition here, but there was some, Uh, T changes and things to do, just more about getting, uh, fitting the structures around the first T, for instance, which is normally our third west, uh, fit the structure around there, uh, sort of an 1800 seat grandstand and sort of hospitality area. So we couldn't fit that around our normal T. So we we extended the T back and across just to sort of fit that. what we'll play as the 16th hole, we pushed the tee right back into the back corner there. And then the 14th hole uh, also just changed some angles and things there just to get crowd uh, movement through between bunkers and things. So that, that was sort of the first things. And then really it was, you know, a matter of formulating our, our turf management program from there to uh, just get everything to, to come together at the right time. So. Just some minor T changes early on and then um, you know, it's just been a program of getting uh, getting our turf management right. Fortunately, we've built a new maintenance facility back in 2016. We completed that end of 2016, so we've got a, uh, a new $5 million uh, maintenance facility which can accommodate the, the size of the staff, volunteers, all our extra equipment and things. So we're really, uh, set up well for that. Um, and yeah, just, just, uh, you know, been working on our our, our turf, uh, pretty much for the last, uh, three months since, since the winter, we'll get through the winter and then work with the, uh, work with the seasons.
0: Well, there's, uh, never an end to it really anyway in this business, but, uh, I I don't know how many uh, viewers really understand the, the, uh, the, ancillary things that uh, are involved as you're describing it's it's quite extensive but let's talk about you how long have you been at the uh at royal melbourne
1: uh just on just just over 10 years now so i started here in 2009 and we did a a fairly major uh, re of both courses um, including most greens we did uh, some fine fescue Surrounds and approaches on each hole. We regrassed the fairways, rebuilt tees, put in a new irrigation system and a water treatment facility as well for our recycled water. So that was an extensive program leading into the 2011 President's Cup here. So we basically did a regrassing 18 months. Uh, or finished it sort of 18 months before the tournament, which was a challenge and a real uh, tight deadline, uh, which we, we got through, but probably, you know, the turf wasn't, was still fairly immature. So this time leading in, it's, it's uh, looking a lot, uh, you know, a lot more mature and it's less, I suppose, a less stressful uh, leading in compared to, to that
0: period it was, it was a real challenge. Certainly, certainly. Wow. So 10 years has flown by for you, I imagine. You guys are building, doing all that work into maintenance facilities. I know you got another big project going, and obviously, a, a world famous golf facility with probably a lot of golf. So you probably blinked, and here you are in 2019. Well, that, that's right.
1: And you know, you sort of have that tournament uh, dates off in the distance and you're sort of, you know, looking at the calendar and you sort of think, oh, yeah, that's that's a little way away. But the, uh, you know, the, la- the last few weeks disappeared pretty quickly. And so all of a sudden it's, it'll be on us and uh, over and uh, they'll pack up and, and leave. So, uh, but, you know, we're, we're, <laughs> we're really, um, you know, we're really looking forward to it, but it's just, uh, yeah, yeah, the time passes quickly when, you, when you're busy, that's for sure. Well, where are you from? I'm fairly local here, so I'm Melbourne um, born and raised on a dairy farm. My my dad was a dairy farmer, but only on the outskirts of the city. We we weren't that far away from uh, town and there wasn't too many um, kids on farms that went to school, but uh, I was one of them. So I had that great lifestyle of having the the farming um, uh, sort of Facility around us, and then uh, you know have have the close to the city scenario. So farm farm taught me a lot about uh, you know the the you know, growing things and the, and the long hours and getting up early and all those sort of things. So the transition to uh, to greenkeeping wasn't uh, wasn't that difficult. But uh, yeah, I finished school and just wanted to get out and. Uh, and, and do something and work. Uh, so, uh, uh, dodged the university, uh, way why and, uh, got an apprenticeship, uh, doing, doing turf management. And, um, since when I was seven and a half and then that's what I've been doing ever since.
0: Wow. That's, uh, that's cool. So you're, you're from the area, you've, you've been working out, uh, at, you know, with the land and around it, and then you transitioned pretty early, pretty young age into, into greenkeeping. And so tell us of some of the, uh, some of the stops along the way to Royal Melbourne um, that uh, you encountered.
1: Yeah, so I started um, in Australia here, we do our training probably a little bit differently to you. We, we uh, it's called an apprenticeship system where, you know, you start off on sort of fairly low uh, wage, but your employer's hosting you to do, you know, one day of school a week. Um, so you go along and do your theory at school, but you work for four days. So you're doing that sort of uh, practical, on-the-job type training. So I did my apprenticeship at Riversdale Golf Club, which is you know, ha- half an hour, um, uh, half an hour away from here. Uh, worked there for five years, then uh, an opportunity as an assistant su- superintendent on a on a course about four hours uh inland up on the murray river which is the border between the states here victoria and new south wales uh opportunity there to build an 18 hole course on an existing 27 hole course so uh yarrowonga uh was was the place and and worked there for three and a half years got my first superintendent's job also on the murray but another at um uh, up at swan hill and did that uh for five years, got the opportunity then as the superintendent at Metropolitan Golf Club, which is just down the road from here, sort of 20 minutes away. Another sandbelt, Melbourne Sandbelt course. Uh, got the opportunity there. Did 15 years there, including uh, did an Australian Open tournament, Accenture World Match Play there, uh, Women's Australian Open. Uh, so did a few tournaments. Rebuilt all the greens in my time there and then came had the opportunity to come here uh, 10 years ago and so uh, this has been uh, you know great uh, well I, I don't think I'd change anything it's been a great um, a great journey along the way and worked at some great facilities done a bit of construction but also uh, tournaments and maintenance and and the whole uh, the whole deal
0: yeah you know that's that sounds incredible and you know I I'm interested so you've you're you're a rare breed in our business that has a lot of construction experience and a lot of tournament experience as well. You know, usually you find uh, it's not often that you find guys that have ha- been blessed with the opportunity of both. How do you think that that either one of those experiences help with the other, you know, a big tournament experience when you're doing construction or big construction experience when you're doing tournament? Do you think there's some benefit uh, from from having that?
1: Yeah, you know, certainly teaches you. Both of them teach you a bit about uh, the workload and how to how to manage things in a busy uh, busy period. That's for sure. Yeah. Uh, so you know the seven days a week uh, commitment. That's one of the things that teaches you. But look, they're probably different. They're a little bit different requirements for both. But uh, look, yeah, they're both uh, can be demanding. That's for sure. And uh, you know you need a good team around you when you're doing both. And that's uh, that's important and i've i've had that all the way through you just got to rely on uh, uh, others to to uh, pick up the slack because you can't do everything but you know i i think look they're both they're both um you know i enjoy doing both but uh i think the the maintenance and you know the the appreciation for fine turf and the the tournament, seeing the best players play on the surface as you prepare, you know, that's probably the highlight for me. I mean, you know, you feel you feel ownership over something you construct from the word go and definitely enjoyable. But uh, to do tournaments where you have the best players come along, um, you get to showcase what you and your team can have done, I think is really, really satisfying. I get a lot of enjoyment out of that these days.
0: Yeah, I can imagine, and you know what's our, our listeners may not know, but you're actually you and your team are actually doing both as we speak, right? So you've got a, a project going across the street while you're preparing for the president's gun.
1: Yeah, we thought we weren't busy enough, so we thought we'd just throw in a construction project. <laughs> yeah, shift, uh, along the way, so uh, yeah, we we have a lease over the uh, the the public uh, course. Uh, across the road and we have had that for some time but there's been a uh, development happening there it's going to become the home of Australian golf uh, our golf Australia our sort of uh, peak body here in Australia are going to base themselves there and they're going to do their high performance training so there's you know there's a facility with all the uh, technical labs and things and then there's a gymnasium and um all the golf coaches and physios and things will be based there so we've built this driving range um for that and then that's required us to alter the golf course it's an existing 18 hole course which which required us to alter the golf course to fit that sort of facility in so we're going on going through rebuilding the the all the holes and uh, we're nine holes into that so stage one was we tried to map that out so that we could do it um you know, during winter, and then 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 sort of plant the grasses, and then grow it in over the over the President's Cup, and then we plan to open that uh, late January, and then move into stage two construction, which is the other nine holes. So we're keeping nine holes open there, uh, and then during the President's Cup, the the practice range area is going to be used as the fan village. So this sort of entry with all the merchandise and you know catering and that sort of area, and then um, the rest of the holes are going to be used as car parking. So we've done all this work and grassing. Now we're going to park about five thousand cars on it uh, each day as well. So it's been a really, a was- really tight schedule. Uh, but you know, we're I'm really proud of the the team that have, have put that together. And we've done a lot of the work ourselves. Uh, but uh, yeah, we're definitely going to improve the the quality of the facility. We're planting the same grasses that we use here and uh, trying to give it that real feel of a, a, a sand belt public access facility, which is going to be really, really great for, for golf in the area.
0: Wow, that is amazing. Do you know are they going to feature any of uh, the future plans for that facility on any of the TV coverage and such for the president's? Cup? Uh,
1: I'm not sure I might it certainly might get a mention because you know people will be uh, in and around it uh, when they when they when they arrive so there'll definitely be some uh, exposure to it. so I, I imagine that yeah there'll
0: be' some, will be some yeah. publicity here. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's cool. Well, I mean, you mentioned your team and and the importance of having a good team around you to to take on all the things that, you, that you've that you taken on there and, and all throughout your career. So tell us a little bit about um, your team. How many people do you have working for you across the property and and your volunteers? How many are you going to bring in for the event and so forth?
1: Yeah. So we, um, when we took on the we used to run that uh, the the public facility. We used to run that a little bit more separately, but now we've integrated it into our um, structure here. So we run with a we have a construction superintendent uh, at that site, and then uh, we have a superintendent on the east course and a superintendent on the west course here. So they they run their their Teams, but we we've got one group of staff, so we've got about forty five uh, people at the moment. We've we sort of upscaled a little bit for the the construction project, so about forty five staff, okay. and we're going to uh, that's going to be boosted with the volunteers by another forty five uh, or so. So um, it's interesting we we didn't ever advertise for uh, a volunteer program and you know, um, having three golf courses and you can bring all your staff together, but probably we didn't have necessarily a a huge requirement for extra labour, but I took the view that we wanted to try and give the opportunity for uh, people around around Australia to come and be involved with a tournament like the President's Cup. So we've sort of tried to cap it at about 50. And of course, as you know, um, when you've got volunteers, they're all committed uh, until it comes to the crunch and you've got got a few people uh, um, pulling out and coming in and so there's a few changes at the last minute but uh, yeah we would have really wanted to get that uh, opportunity for people we didn't ever advertise it and right from when we were announced we started getting emails and uh, you know, i think we've capped it at 50 but we, we could have had a hundred uh, people and you know i've got a few from the u.s so uh, a couple of uh, uh, from the Quail Hollow team, actually, who are doing the next Presidents Cup in in 21, so they're coming over just to get a get a feel for it. Um, uh, yeah. I think Kyle, the, the superintendent at uh, Sand Hills, is coming over. So there's a few few US based people, and uh, then all around Australia and New Zealand. So uh, it's really great opportunity for a few, for a few people to get that
0: experience. So. Oh man, yeah, for sure. I I, I know what you mean. Uh, you know, similar. You know, these 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 worldwide events like the President's Cup, um, you could you have to turn people away, which is is a bummer. But at the same time, you know, like you said, with a multi-course facility, you only need so, so many and you've got enough to manage, obviously. So that's great that you're able to provide that kind of access to that many people. I think that'll be a amazing experience. Also, for your team to integrate with people from around the country and other countries is uh, always a fun time i'm sure
1: yeah i think we were just talking about this the other day with the staff and saying you know that, uh, that there's a net networking opportunity from these things as well so you know getting to know getting to know other people and contacts uh internationally and, and interstate is always uh, was potentially a, a great thing to to uh call on at some time in the future
0: certainly well, the, the history of Royal Melbourne Golf Club is is uh, very well known. It's uh, one of the top golf courses in the world, and you have 36 holes there, uh, the west and the east, and the course that they will be playing the President's Cup on is a composite course, correct?
1: That, that's right, yes. So there's 12 holes from the west and, and six from the east make up the composite. And, you know, the, the layout of the land is that you know, both both courses individually uh, cross over roads when you play. So you know, you go on the west course from 12 to 13, you, you cross over a road and then come back when you go from 16 to 17. And then on the east, you cross over a road going from uh, four to five and then uh, six to seven and then reverse when you're coming back as well. So the composite holes are all in the main uh, area, So we actually have 20, uh, 21 holes in the um, main area of where the clubhouse is, but that's all contained by the one fence. So it works pretty well to, from a tournament perspective, whereas if you had road crossings and things, it would be very difficult to manage for crowds and spectators and things. So uh, it works pretty well. Uh, they're probably the most dramatic holes. The, the home uh, paddock, as we like to call it, is, uh, you know, he's is, is probably got the most dramatic land where, the, you know, the sand dune formations uh, got the most movement. So, um, you know, you, you, you they're probably going to be the, the most spectacular uh, in terms of presenting something to on, on TV and there's certainly not a weak hole on the composite course, that's for sure. So uh, I think you would, uh, you know, you would say you've, you've got at least, you know, most of the best holes on the on the 36 hole layout uh when the composites uh in
0: play okay yeah well you know correct me if i'm wrong and and i and i just did uh, some research and and i hope that i'm right but the the 1926 routing of the west course is dr Alistair mckenzie but it was built by uh, australian open champion alex russell and greenkeeper mick morcom is that correct
1: That's absolutely correct.
0: Yes. Yep. Uh, Okay. And the East course then um, was also built by uh, Mr. Russell, Mr. Morecambe, but uh, there was only nine holes that were designed by, uh, or or routed by Dr. McKenzie as a part of that. And the rest of the other nine were uh, products of Russell and Morecambe.
1: Yeah. So as I understand it, you know, McKenzie was brought to Royal Melbourne to uh, design the new west course and there was enough land that they believed they could build a 27 hole uh, course on it and so they actually started to construct you know they did the 18 west holes and then they started to construct the the, the next nine and then uh, some more land became available and so then they they obviously Mackenzie didn't come back so they they sort of re restructured that and and Russell and Morecambe built the East course so here we we credit uh, you know Mackenzie with the West and Russell with the East as the designer but obviously uh, we appreciate and and uh, admire the work that Morecambe and his team did and a lot of that was um, you know horse and scoop type uh, shaping of bunkers and and some of the contouring and that around around green. So really, uh, yeah, yeah McKenzie, McKenzie and Russell from a design team, but Morecambe and his team, uh, you know, for the construction.
0: You know, um, have you been to Cypress Point or any of Dr. McKenzie's uh, famous courses in the United States?
1: Well, I was very privileged to have a game around Cypress, but oh, right. only uh, a year or two ago, but uh, have visited there, you know, two or three or four times now. And, uh, yeah, just just love that, love, love going there. And, you know, you can certainly see um, some, you know, similarities there uh, in, in terms of the design and the structure of the holes and things. So, yeah, it's a great place to visit. And there's, you know, I haven't been personally to too many other uh, McKenzie designs, but uh, would plan to do that at some stage in the future.
0: Yeah, You know, the reason I was asking is that, um, you know, what's, what strikes me when, when I've been to Cyprus or even Augusta, it's just the, the use of scale, the, the size of the features, you know, they just, Dr. McKenzie on those particular golf courses really, built some massive stuff uh into the natural features of the land would would you say you know and it's going to be hard for us to see on tv you know uh those type of things um at royal melbourne but is it similar in that regard that 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 the scale of everything is much bigger than you would be able to tell from tv
1: yeah i I think more more than any any other um mckenzie course royal melbourne really does have that that scale and you know this gets talked about quite a bit, but uh, it's what you you really appreciate it when when you're here. Um, you know the yeah. scale is the you know the size, but then the scale of how everything fits together. You know the the size of the green and the size of the bunkering and the width of the fairways and all those sort of things. Uh, probably one of the one of the factors that really make uh, make it great is is the is the scale. And you know I often say to people you know, if you look down. From an aerial view down on, on the on the course, you really do then pick up you know the size of the bunkers and 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 the width of fairways and things, and then you know, then you look at the course next door and it sort of almost looks like a you know miniature type version of what you're looking at at Royal Melbourne. So there's definitely that large scale. I'm mean, just talking to another um, architect just recently talking about you know what gives it the scale, but you know the bunkers are very big and you know sometimes you think the greens greens are big but I mean they're you know in, in our we're, we're metric obviously but we're sort of you know 600 square meter uh, average type green areas but the bunkers are massive around them often and then that sort of seems to make the green feel bigger and, and the scale feel bigger so it's really uh, interesting how uh, that's been done from a design and construction point of view but, yeah, it's, it's, it certainly makes everything feel big, wide, and spacious. There's, there's no doubt about that. And that's one of, one of the features that makes the course uh, what it is.
0: Very, very cool stuff. I cannot wait to watch it uh, again um, whenever there's any coverage of, of Royal Melbourne. I try to watch just uh, always been a fan of, of uh, what we see over there. And, and another new, unique thing, too, Um, your club is your climate, right? So it's known around the world uh, to be in the sand belt. So tell uh, the listeners a little bit, you know, about what a sand belt climate is, what you're growing on, what the, you know, the temperatures and just any uh, unique things that uh, most people wouldn't know about the the climate there in the sand belt.
1: Well, the the weather, the weather is something we talk about a lot in Melbourne because you know, the claim here is that we can have four seasons in one day, and <laughs> yesterday is a good example of this. We had a we had a brutal day here, which we can get here in Melbourne, but it was, I think they're saying the hottest November day on record. So, uh, in Melbourne, and we so we get the winds from the north, which is sort of across the land, and uh, you know you can get those conditions where it really heats up. So we had really strong. Northerly hot winds and it played havoc with you know all the structures and you know debris on the mm-hmm. on the course and that sort right. of thing. So we got up to I think forty one degrees Celsius. So that's well up over a hundred uh, in
0: your your turn. Hundred five, hundred six. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
1: So so we had wow. that, and then in the afternoon the wind swung around to the south, which it often does here, and uh, it dropped it dropped to 18 degrees in like 10 minutes so a couple of our seasonal uh, green keepers here were just shaking their head and say how can this happen you know you just, <laughs> <laughs> so we can get we can get this in Melbourne and we had um, you know 80 90 kilometer an hour winds um, pretty much all day yesterday so it was a, a brutal brutal day but the temperatures can really fluctuate So today you know it was 41 yesterday our top today is probably uh, 18 or 19. so uh, we can in spring particularly we can get that variability so you can get some extreme temperatures uh, but uh, you know it's usually short the, the heat's usually a short burst uh, because the wind will come from the north will slowly build up to to hot temperatures and then it'll swing around the south and it'll cool right down again so you know, you can get uh, you get this wide fluctuation in, in temperatures. Our seasons are fairly uh, defined. You know, we've, we're we're still in we're in the last month of spring here for us. So everything's just starting to come come along in terms of growth. So when you're preparing for a tournament, you got to wait for that uh, seasonal change to run with you a little bit, and you get that. Uh, you know, you can't force things to grow when you sort of still got. low ground temperatures and cold conditions we don't get obviously we don't get frost or um, snow here you know our our temperatures you know overnight might get down to one or two you know be the coldest it probably gets one or two celsius uh, in in winter so um, we we grow warm season grass on our fairways and teas and cool season grass on our greens and surrounds so in that sort of zone where you can do both of those, um, although the the, the mm-hmm. Bermuda, as you call it, cooch here uh, on the fairways is pretty dormant during the winter period. But the the, the sand belt, the, the, the characteristic that sort of ma- most defines the sand belt is is the soil um, and, and the sandy uh, nature of the soil here. So it's a dune type sand, it's very grey sort of black sort of material uh, wide particle distribution. So tends to lock together quite well, and yet it still drains, uh, nicely. So for us, that's where we get that sort of nice firmness in our, in our turf. You get that sort of bouncy, um, right. scenario from that, from that sand and there's deep sand. And so the greens are pushed up out of the local sand and just shaped around. And then the, the bunkers are the natural sand as well. So. It looks grey when you when you dig it up and, and, and stir it over. It looks a grey sort of dark black sort of colour, but then in the bunkers it'll bleach with the rain and the and the wind and everything, and it'll, it'll go white uh, or whitish. And so we get this sort of nice um, sort of locking sand. We get those firm faces. I think you know a lot of people in the in the US uh, ask about how you know we get that firmness in the face where the ball sort of always. Um, hit the face and roll to the base of the bunker. Um, and we, we try and you know, just present those flat and, and, and prepared with a board rather than a rake. So you, you're trying to get the ball to hit the face and roll to the base of the bunker. But that, that's pretty much all natural sand, very little drainage uh, on the courses here. And uh, you know it's, it's, it's a great place. If you want to put a new bunker in, you just go and dig a hole. So that's pretty nice uh, scenario to have, but yeah. yeah, we work hard on that, uh, using that, the, the sand for, to our benefit with that, um, that, that firmness characteristics very, very important.
0: Definitely. You know, it doesn't get any more organic than, uh, or, or sustainable than just going and digging in a hole when you want a bunker. Yeah. Um, then that, you know, that's pretty sweet, you know, and over here, we, uh, everybody's always striving to be as firm as fast as possible, but there's very few places um, here in the United States that can replicate anything like the sand belt. So it's just a a really unique uh, thing that you have and, and uh, produces, you know, the, the one of a kind uh, conditions that you guys do. And, and you mentioned that you're able to grow both warm and cool season grasses across the temperature spectrum that you experience. And, and um, you are, uh, bent grass on your greens, what kind of bent is it that you're growing there?
1: So, so our bent grass is, uh, we we know it as Sutton's Mix, and it's probably a, a lengthy story. I won't, won't go into the full detail of it, but it's known as Sutton's Mix because it came from the Sutton's Seed Company in England um, when it was first sown into the greens. And we we'll believe the origins of that are the old South German, uh, mixture of bents of that were sort of the flavor for, for sowing down new greens in that era and it's evolved here uh, over that time and it's predominantly a colonial bent and so uh, it's quite different characteristics to to the new uh, creeping bent grasses so you know probably not as aggressive um, whole mixture of different plants so you know as I said back in 2009 we reseeded the greens but we reseeded them with this with our recreated Sutton's mix so uh, we get a little bit of that you know mottling you know you can look look down at the turf and you can set some very fine grasses and some coarser grasses that make up the mix so there's some requirements when you're managing that type of Turf on a on a on a green that you've got to be aware of because they can all behave just a little bit differently and they've some are more resilient than others. But uh, uh, you know, if you're not careful, you can get that uh, where one one will sort of check out and you'll end up with a uh, you know a bumpy surface. So so for us managing that, it's uh, it's got some unique um, requirements about it, uh, and you just can't you know you can't aggressively go at it with um, Mechanical you know, verti cutting and groomers and things. So we're sure. we pretty much yeah. just mow. Um, we don't do any mechanical aeration on it uh, at all, other than hydroject. So we're a collector of uh, hydrojects from all over the world. Uh, uh, we're we're <laughs> right. proud owners of nine hydrojects now. Some of those are twenty five to thirty years old. Um, but we we'll use them on a regular basis on, on, our, uh, on our greens and, and more recently on our approaches to greens as well. So uh, that high pressure water injection is the only aeration we do to the greens. Uh, we don't do a vigorous sanding program or dusting program. We're more about sort of lean, you know, not grow too much organic matter and, um, you know, try and get the firmness that way of course firmness you know if we get an inch of rain you know that's not going to give us firmness but when it's dry they they get nice and firm but yeah we so we don't um we don't aerate much but yeah the grass is a great story it's grown for us in new zealand uh by pgg Wrightsons, who grow a uh, field of it in their seed research uh, area at uh, kimahia near um, christchurch And then that comes back to us for exclusive use here. So yes, Sutton's mix it's known as, and you'll probably hear that a little bit on the coverage because it's a bit of a story that's different to most. And uh, we're we're proud of the the history of it. It was recreated from, you know, the grasses were sown in in, the late 20s, early 30s, and then managed, Claude Crockford was the course manager here for 40 years. and he he managed those greens pretty much as uh, as pure bent grass for that 40 year period. Then the the new superintendent came in and he decided he, he'd done a nice trip around the U.S. and decided that uh, these grasses had probably had their day, and he was going to recommend that uh, the club change to a more modern uh, bent grass, which in that in that time was Pencross. And so they started changing greens to Pencross and they changed all the composite holes and it had. Then left the the ones that aren't on the composite course, and there was a lot of bad feedback, or a lot of uh, a lot of feedback from professionals during tournaments held at that time that the Pen Pen Cross was nowhere near as good as the old uh, Sutton's mixed Green. Mm-hmm. So the club stalled that changeover program, and went back to so how can we recreate uh, what we had? And so they collected plugs from the finer. Uh, grasses of the Suttons mix of the, in, in the remaining greens. Grew them out. Some produced seed, some didn't. Collected the seed. The seed was sent over to New Zealand, planted in the seed production field, harvested once a year, and, and sent back to us. So it's quite a uh, unique and neat story. We're dealing with a grass that's probably you know evolved and adapted uh, to our conditions here, but it certainly has no breeding for you know, disease resistance or heat tolerance or low mowing or any of those things, but it probably has a lot of uh, adaptation to those, to those things in the way we manage the turf. But uh, yeah, it's an interesting story, uh, and uh, it, it does impact on how we have our management style for the greens, if you like.
0: Yeah, so it sounds like it's it's really uh, unique and, and uh, high-quality playing surface, but certainly not an easy-to-manage uh, turf species by any means no
1: and I, I think you know you're learning about it all the time so uh, you know you know when to when to push it and back off and i remember before the last president's cup particularly with the new greens being immature um, we'd planned to sort of start brushing you know with an out front brush on front of the uh, walk mowers uh, you know a couple of weeks out from the tournament And we did it two or three times and then we just what happened is that the turf started to open up and sort of separate into into more individual plants and we we're going to get that sort of bumpy sort of surface. And so um, we put the brushes away and really haven't used them since. So we're really about yeah. mowers. We don't have any, as I said, groomers or anything on the mowers or brushing. Uh, it's just about mowing and you know, managing fertility and water and, and, and those, those kind of things
0: very cool well you mentioned fine fescue in the surrounds or the approaches so i imagine that's a nice transitional grass uh on a low fertility um from a low fertility standpoint um for your uh to complement your sutton's mix um and is that there too to just get it tight and firm and and accentuate some of that bounce uh, that you're looking for. Yeah, that's
1: that's correct. When we decided to put the uh, the fine fescue uh, around the greens, the inspiration for that was that we we have what uh, we we term as a common uh, cooch or common Bermuda, which is quite um, coarse and uh, open, I suppose, more more so than the than the hybrid types. And so to take that cooch all the way up to the, the fringe of the green didn't allow, when you've got firmness in your greens, you know, there's plenty of times where there's a front pin, you know, you need to bounce the ball into the, or run the ball into the green to, to get it uh, close to the pin. And, and the cooch being grainy and sort of springy wasn't really going to give us that sort of uh, true bounce uh, around the green. So that was one of the inspirations for putting the fine fescue in. It was more like it behaves, in one of Mackenzie's um, philosophies was that the you know the surround should react and behave the same way as the green does. And so to achieve that, the fine fescue went in. And then the other benefit for that is if you know you go through the green, you've got a um, you haven't got that grainy sort of uh, scenario where you're trying to chip the ball back into the grain of the of the cooch uh, around the green, so the, the right. fescue gives you a much nicer, um, you know, not much nicer surface to, to play either chips or putts or however you want to uh, deal with those uh, shots around the green. So, uh, and then of course the other thing that it gives us is um, some um, some resistance to uh, a, a selective herbicide that uh, enables us to remove. Probably the two biggest weed problems in and around your greens is, is, is the cooch encroachment and also poa. So, uh, with one application of, of a um, haloxafop or uh, you know, herbicide, similar herbicides, we can actually get some control of both those uh, you know, problems that uh, often invade, invade the putting surface. So, it ha- has a few benefits. Uh, of course then it also adds to your cool season grass um, area so on the two courses we've probably got seven and a half hectares uh, of cool season grass which you know more emphasis on hand watering and, and, you know, and um, plant protection uh, applications and that sort of thing so right, right. Uh, there's definitely benefits to to the playing surface and the quality of the the playing surface and the characteristics, but there's also a, a maintenance requirement for it uh, as well.
0: Very cool. So you, you talked about the cooch and the fairways in the rough, and you and you talked about uh, dormancy and the time of year. So will there be some uh, color contrast that, that viewers are going to notice between the cooch into the fescues and, and onto the Sutton?
1: Yeah. And, and, you know, the purists might, you know, there's often a comment about you know your transition from, from the, the fairway to the fescue and then to the green and so you've got these texture and color changes that happen that can make it look a bit busy around the green but you know my argument is you know if you had any sort of cool season grass if you extended your bent grass beyond the green and replaced the fescue with bent uh, you would still have a different look because it's you know change of height would, would make it look different anyway um, but the, whereas the fescue whereas the fescue um, blends pretty well with the you know colonial type bent grasses so uh, I think that that works yeah. pretty well but it's uh, there's definitely a, a, cha- hey, yeah. hey, a change in um, texture and color when you when you see that on uh, on the TV but then uh in the rough, we have. Um, you'll see that there's a real contrast with the, the rough, and particularly if we keep getting uh, 40 degree temperatures, uh, you'll see a real contrast with the rough and the fairway because you, we're, our roughs are very natural. We don't irrigate them. Uh, we don't mow them very much at all either. So you've got a lot of native grasses and indigenous plants and heathland. Uh, type plants that uh, exist in the roughs and they they contrast really strongly with the uh, the playing surfaces but you know having said that outside the ropes with 35,000 spectators and 300 golf carts and all the uh, build schedule that goes on there's probably not going to be much rough left at all so we probably see sandy rough uh, in, in a lot of places.
0: Well, the event is just around the corner. So, um, uh, anything in particular you want to uh, share about, um, you know, your your specific preparation for the event, or um, your interaction with the, the PGA Tour or, the, or the, the the captains of the teams and such? Anything interesting going on there? Oh,
1: well, plenty of plenty of things uh, going on in that area for sure. So, uh, <laughs> we had. Uh, Part of the uh, promotion for the, for the event is that the two captains make a visit um, 12 months uh, ahead of the event to do some um, promotional work for the for the tournament uh, and so I had the honour and privilege to, to spend uh, two or three hours with both Tiger and Ernie on, on separate days uh, driving them around in a golf cart. And just uh, you know, talking about the course and and the, the our preparation and what they would expect um, at the time. Ernie has some input as, as the home team captain, the international team. that He has some input into what uh, how he would like to see the course presented, and um, you know, he, he's pleasingly, he his view was that it should play the way it always plays and not not to change any you know, fairway widths or heights of colour, right. anything like that. Just just go about our, our normal uh, business, which is was pleasing. And we, we probably from that, we um, then interact with the, the PGA Tour. So uh, we have Cal Roth uh, as their agronomist uh, for, for the event. So Cal will be out. Uh, the week before and we'll, we'll, uh, we'll get down to talking about specifics of, of Greens preparation and things then. But uh, he's made a couple of visits prior. I also had Paul Vermeulen uh, from PGA Tour out uh, on one other occasion for a visit. So uh, they're, they're heavily uh, invested and involved, but uh, we, we hope that we don't have to change too much from what we do. Um, you know, green speeds and firmness can also uh, cause some some um, nervousness with with the officials. But uh, we we you know, extreme wind will be the thing that's going to impact a, a little bit. If we uh, if we get those sort of conditions, we won't be able to do our our sort of normal uh, greens preparation. But uh, in normal weather conditions, we'll hopefully be able to get up around the you know sort of thirteen uh, speeds, uh, which is, they, they've agreed to accept that that's, that's, uh, that's a target number. So hopefully you can operate around in and around that, uh, subject to the weather.
0: Man, that is, uh, it sounds fantastic. And, and what an exciting time for you and, and your, your staff and congratulations on, uh, getting there or almost being there, you know, back here in the States, we'll be watching it at the odd hours and we'll definitely be watching the, uh, uh, the recorded versions and and getting as much of it as we can and and um, you know again just uh, congratulations to you and your team and and we hope that everything goes just as you want it and you you finish with another great Presidents Cup and onto uh, whatever else they're going to put on your plate afterward.
1: Yeah, that's right. There's always something happening here for sure. So we we never uh, we never get bored. There's always uh, another uh, project or tournament or something on the horizon. So. Uh, that's a great thing, and you know we we, we certainly enjoy it. Uh, we recognise the responsibility of uh, preparing Royal Melbourne well for for an event like this, and uh, we're representing not only Royal Melbourne and ourselves, but we're we're representing I think Australian uh, golf course uh, turf management and greenkeeping. So we, we recognise that responsibility. We hope that we can present a golf course that reflects uh you know the sand belt style and and tradition of the way the turf is is presented and uh we can show that off to the world that's uh what we're really looking forward to so yeah hope it goes to plan and we get the right uh the right weather to do that uh in the week of the event but we can't control that so we'll deal with whatever we've got we've actually had the uh, junior president's cup uh, on the weekend before so we've got some extra um, preparation days which is also going to impact a little bit on uh, on, on what we do. So we've got uh, practice days on the Friday, Saturday before and then the, uh, the uh, tournament days for the Junior uh, Cup is uh, the Sunday and Monday. Then we go straight into practice with the uh, the, the main event and then uh, play from Thursday to Sunday. So some extra preparation days which will impact a little bit on our, how we manage our moisture and uh, cutting and things. But um, We'll, we'll take that in our stride and hopefully uh, do that uh, as well as we can also.
0: Well, without a doubt, the busiest greenkeeper on the face of the planet. Richard, thanks so much for taking your time today to be on The Course Reports. And best of luck. We'll be watching.
1: Thank you, Curtis. I've enjoyed it. It's been fun. And, uh, yeah, we look forward to uh, to a couple of weeks' time. And I uh, hope, uh, hope everyone over there is uh, is watching.
0: You bet. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Well, I hope you enjoyed that interview as much as I enjoyed talking to Richard. A big thank you to him for taking time out of his busy day to talk with us. He certainly has a lot on his plate, and it is a really exciting time for him. Uh, lots of balls in the air as the President's Cup is about to tee off. It's sure to be a great match and, and certainly going to be one outstanding venue To watch, You know, what's really interesting about talking to Richard and and when we we spoke to Brian over there in New Zealand is we're just hopefully bringing a lot of new information to you all, the listener, about what you're seeing on TV and how different it is and what they deal with uh, in terms of challenges and grasses and everything else uh, on that side of the planet. So again, it was really a special thing to have Richard join us and uh, we appreciate it. So, 2020 is around the corner. We've had a great 2019. Uh, we really appreciate everybody that's been on the podcast, the, the sites that hosted us for our videos. I want to thank Chris Logan Harley for his partnership in the on site YouTube videos that we put out. It's been a lot of fun. We've learned a lot, and uh, we'll see where this goes in 2020. We appreciate all the encouragement and support that we've gotten from all the listeners and viewers. And we definitely will have something for you next year. So we wrap up 2019 with the President's Cup version in Richard Foresight. Again, thank you all and have a happy holidays, a Merry Christmas, and a Happy New Year. We'll talk to you in 2020. This episode is brought to you by Dave Thompson's Organic Healthy Grow and Healthy Grow Professional Brand Fertilizers. It's sustainable, it's organic, it's best in class find it at a retailer near you or online at healthygrow.com/green the way it's made matters healthygrow.com/green